Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Wednesday night Bible study, and we're going through a book of the Bible. And so we're going to start a new book tonight, and we're going to start going through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a great book. Now, here's the one thing about Philippians that's kind of unique of the rest of a lot of the New Testament writings and, and Paul's writing to the church. In Philippians, he's not having to correct anything. He's not having to warn them about something. It's just a great letter of positive nature to folks that he cares about. And so let me begin with just kind of a little history so that you understand it maybe a little bit better. And we get this history from the book of Acts chapter 16. Paul's starting his second missionary journey. He did three. He wants to go to this place. God tells him no. He wants to go to this place. That door is shut. Verse 9, he says, you know, that night I had a vision and a man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, with with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so, okay, we decided to leave for Macedonia once, at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So we boarded a boat for Trios and sailed straight across the island. And the next day we boarded there. And then from there we reached another, we reached Philippi, Philippians, Philippi, a major city at the district of Macedonia. Now notice a Roman colony. That plays into big in what happened in this city. So it's a Roman colony. The Rome's in charge. Uh, everything else is very low, very minimal. It's a huge trading place. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Evidently, there's no synagogue. Evidently, there's no church inside of town. It's small enough where maybe there's not enough people because to have a synagogue, you had to have so many people to start it. And there's just nothing there. So they're walking outside. Maybe we can find some people there. And as we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there, and one of them was Lydia. And she's a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. And she listened to us. The Lord opened her heart. She accepted what Paul was saying. And she and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. And if you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So first convert, Philippi, Lydia, her household, they're there. Now, I didn't print the rest of it out, but the rest of the story goes something like this. For several days, they stayed in town. They did this. And as Paul and them were going around, suddenly this girl who's uh, demon-possessed, is walking around behind them going, hey, listen to these guys. They're going to tell you how to be saved, most high God. And she did this for several days, and the Bible says, kind of something like this, my, my translation, Paul just got sick of it. She was creating a commotion. She was diminishing what was going, even though she was saying the truth. And he cast the demon out of her. Well, when he did that, her, her owner got ticked. Because he had been making money off of her because she could predict the future sometimes. Because Satan can do those things once in a while. And so he starts a riot. Paul and Silas are beaten. They're put in jail. As they're in jail, they're praising God. Tells us around midnight, there's an earthquake. Their chains fall off. The jail doors are open. 
And the guy who's the guard is terrified because he thinks, oh no, all the prisoners are gone. I'm in big trouble. Paul says to him, look, don't worry. We're all here. It's going to be okay. Well, the jailer is just taken aback by this, and we're told that he and his household get saved. So Paul is finally brought to court. He, they want to let him go. He says, you're not letting me go until you apologize to me because I'm a Roman citizen. They didn't know that. See, a Roman citizen couldn't be beat like that. And so they had to let him go. They came and apologized, and he leaves the city. That's the start of the church in Philippi. Now, it's about 10 years later, and Paul writes this book. So we're going to look at, first of all, his caring nature. His caring nature. The first two verses in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, talk to us about how Paul cares about these people. He says, this letter's from Paul, Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, there's four things in these few little verses that become critical and important for you to kind of know and understand. And so, four things that Paul emphasizes in the midst of those verses as we look back at them. First of all, he calls himself a slave. Now, that's a term we don't like using, but in reality, if you really want to say who you and I are with Christ, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He owns me. He has the right to tell me what to do. I have no rights. He's in control. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the one that I follow. He's the one that I serve. I just listen to him and do what he tells me to do. Now, that goes against our very nature, doesn't it? But yet, Paul calls himself that, not only here, but in other places. And it's very important as a Christian. You and I, let me use a little better term, are servants of the Lord. Doesn't sound quite as bad, does it? But slaves are really good term. And so Paul calls himself a slave, which is what you and I are. We don't, slaves don't get to have opinions. Slaves just do what they're told. And that's who he is. And that's how we serve. Secondly, saints. He says to all of God's holy people, whenever you are saved, the Bible tells us you become holy. Now that word saint has gotten misused because of the way some other churches have used it. But it's still a proper term because that's who we are and what we are. We are children of God. We are God's holy people. When I'm a slave of Christ, I'm holy. And so he calls them that. He says, look, this is who you are. This is what you're about. This is what I want you to know. You are holy. And you and I are called to be holy, aren't we? Be holy, for God is holy. Thirdly, he calls them stewards. He says, you have leaders. He's writing this to your leaders. Now, some versions use some different words, but let me just, whenever you see the word leaders, you've seen other words used for this. You've seen the word bishop, you've seen the word elder, pastor, overseer, shepherd. All of those are a part of this term. They were put in every church that Paul started, and they were the people who were to guard the doctrine and to keep things in order. The pastors of today. That's what they were called to do. And then he says, the deacons. The deacons were to serve 
the leaders and to serve the body. They were there to serve the people of the, of the congregation and of the church. So he says, look, I'm a slave of Christ. You're God's holy people. And I want to make sure you understand this. I'm writing this not just to all of you, but I'm writing specifically to the leaders that are there and to the deacons that are there. And then he says, he talks about the supply. Now notice his great emphasis. God the Father will supply to you, will give you grace and peace. Now, that's good for us because, remember, Paul one time is praying, asking God to remove a thorn more than once. God says no. What's God's answer? Paul, I'm going to supply you all the grace that you need to deal with it. No matter what you're going through, God will supply you everything you need to deal with it. And to have peace in the midst of it. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's yours. You can have it. So it's a common greeting of Paul of understanding the grace of God. We're saved by grace, but it's much more than just a saving grace. It's also a grace that helps us deal with the issues of the life that we face. And God's grace is sufficient, isn't it? It's sufficient. And so you and I get the power, the strength, the grace that we need to deal with life, and we get to have peace in the midst of it. That's a wonderful deal. That's a great way to live. And that's what Paul begins with, and that's what he wants them to understand. Look, we're slaves of Christ. I'm writing to all of you holy people. You people are serving God. I'm writing to the leaders, your responsibilities there and what to do. And I want you to understand, God will give you the grace and peace that you need to do whatever he calls you to do. Secondly, Paul's cordial thoughts. Not only does he bring that out, but now we see a side of Paul that sometimes is forgotten. Paul could be this rough, tough guy, but he also is this gentle guy as well. And here's what he says. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Now, again, it's been about 10 years since he's seen them. And yet, what happens every time he thinks about them? He gives thanks for them. Do you have people in your life that every time you think of them, you thank God for them? You should. In fact, it should be most of the people in your life even those people who kind of um, rub you the wrong way? Because how many of you understand God uses them to get the rough edges off of us? And Paul says, look, every time you enter my thoughts, I give thanks. What a great way to respond when you think of somebody. What a great thing to do being positive about people. God, thank you for putting them in my life. God, thank you for what they mean to you, to me. God, thank you for them and for their personality. Thank you for their presence. Thank you for their ministry. Thank you for how you use them. And he just kind of says, look, whenever I think of you, every time, 
I just give thanks. You seeing already about this book, how much Paul cares for these people? And he, you know, begins with it. He, he continues on with it. And then he, he has this thought of joy and this choice of joy. And the book of Philippians has the word joy in it, rejoice in some form or another about 15 times in four chapters. So we're going to come across this often in this book. And every time we do, we're going to stop for a moment and look at it. So his choice of joy. Notice what he says. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Ooh, that's kind of hard sometimes, isn't it? I think about you. I thank God for you. And not only that, let me take it a step farther. Whenever I pray for you, it is a great joy to do so. For you have been my partners, fellowship. That word there is koinonia. In spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. He prays with a grateful heart. He prays out of love for them. Now, let me give you in this instance here, one of the definitions of joy that we're going to look at over the course of time. Joy is this. It's an attitude that leads to an action. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a choice. You choose to have joy. (laughs) And it's not dependent on anything else going on in your life. God says, my joy can be yours whenever you want it. Now, another thing, we'll talk about this a little bit more. While Paul's writing this letter, where's he writing it from? Guess. Prison. He's under house arrest. He's got a guard with him 24 hours a day. He's maybe even chained to him the whole time. And yet he's writing, hey, every time I think about you, it's just great thoughts. And, and every time I, I look at you and think of you, I make all my, oh, it's such, it's such a joyful thing to be able to pray for you. You've been so good. You've been partners with me. And you know what? I have joy when I think about you. He's not looking at his circumstances. He's looking at the joy that is theirs. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he writes these words. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Philippi is included in that. They are being tested by, what's the word? Many troubles, and they are very poor. Boy, that's not positive, is it? But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now you would immediately think, wow, if they're going through a whole bunch of troubles and they don't have any resources, you would not attach joy to them, would you? But see, joy doesn't depend on the circumstances that you're in. Joy is the choice that you get to have because of God and who he is and because of people in your life. It's your choice. It's your willingness to do it. 
partners sharing something in common. Well, I don't have nothing in common, everybody. As a Christian, you have something in common with everybody in this room. You and I are partners in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. That drives our lives. That's what we live for. That's what we want to happen, isn't it? You see, the problem is in America, we've made Christianity very selfish. We've made it, and the tendency for all of us, we make it about us, don't we? But Paul, from the outset, hey, look, I just want you to know something. I want you to have grace and peace. I just think about you, and I just have great heart for you, and I, you know, it just gives, I give thanks for you, and every time I think about you, I'm just filled with joy because of who you are and what you've done. We're together in this. I have reason to rejoice. And so Paul just lays it out there on the line. And I think the greatest struggle sometimes we have is the understanding will come to a down the road, but I'll just throw it out now. In fact, the Bible says you and I should be joyful at least a couple minutes a day. No, that's not what it says, is it? The Bible says you and I should be joyful always. Why? Well, how can I do that? It's your choice. It's your choice. You see, we confuse joy and happiness. Happiness gets based on circumstances. Joy is something I get to have because of what's going on inside of me and who lives inside of me and the life that I get to have because of him. Christians should be the most joyful, and I'll say it this way, the most happy people in the world every day. Some of you got a lot to work on there, don't you? Yeah. Then Paul's confidence in God. Philippians has a lot of verses that are these verses that stand out, that you memorize, that become great points to keep in, the, in the, your walk and in your faith. Philippians is just filled with them. We're going to come across it. And here's one of them. This one is one of the classic verses. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's a great verse. Now, notice a couple things here. First of all, he's certain. You and I as Christians need to be certain that what God says is true and is going to happen. Well, I'm questioning my faith. Stop it. Be certain of what you believe. Be certain of God and his faithfulness. Don't let the circumstances bring all of that into question. Paul just says, I'm certain. I'm certain. How can I be certain? Because I'm certain that God will continue. God will not stop. God is always at work. God keeps moving and keeps going. God doesn't rest. I am certain that God's going to continue the work in you. I am certain that God hasn't given up on me. I am certain that God's still working on me. I am certain of that. Now, I don't always understand it. I don't always know it other than knowing he's working and that he will work 
until it's all completed. He will keep doing what he wants to do and what he needs to do until it's all finished. And so what we know and what we understand is that God who begins a good work, and how many of you understand that every work God does is good, and everything he has done in your life, he is still working in you. He is not done with, oh, you're saved now, good luck, see you later. No, he's still working on you through his Holy Spirit, and God is bringing you to completion because all of us are unfinished works, aren't we? that still have a lot of the rough edges that need to be dealt with. And so Paul writes to these people, he says, look, I'm just confident, I am certain that what was started 10 years ago, that what was started when God came into your life, I am certain that it's gonna continue until God's finished. It will not stop, it will not end. God is still working. Oh, pastor, I'm just old, God's not done with me. No, he's not. You might be done with you, but God's not done with you. Peter writes it this way. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation And we have a priceless inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So, why don't you have some joy? Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Oh, I hope so. Well, it may be. Maybe someday. No, you've got it all wrong. There's joy now, and there's great joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, remember? Paul wrote about the church. Hey, they've gone through many trials. They don't have anything, no resources. They're poor. They still have joy. The trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ will be revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Wow. What a great way to live. You see, we don't work for God's acceptance. We work because God's working in us and through us. And you might be in the greatest battle of your Christian life. You may be facing some things that you thought you'd never have to deal with. You may be going through a time where you've got question after question and it just seems like nothing's fallen into place. 
You may believe the devil has an all-out attack on you and only you, and he's just nailing you time after time again. And maybe you've made some bad decisions that you beat yourself up for and think, well, I can never come out of this. This will never happen. And maybe there's other people who are coming against you and things aren't going well in some of those relationships and things just seem to be falling apart and everything else. I've got good news for you. Nothing can stop God from continuing his good work in your life. Nothing. He will keep on working for our good until the very end. And one day he will finish the work he started that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. God's still at work And I am convinced, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until the day that he calls us home. He's not done. He's still working. Have joy in the midst of it all because God is faithful. So be encouraged tonight. God is still at work in you. And he will never give up on you. And he will not stop. He will keep going. Because he has some great things he wants to do in your life and through your life. There's hope. There is reason to have joy tonight. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.